Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? That's good. I've got way more energy than most of you, so you're going to have to get with me today. Everybody doing okay? There we go. That's good. Hey, we are kicking off a brand new series today that you just heard about called Acts and Arrows. And, and really, this series is about, it's in 2 Kings, which is one of those Old Testament books that contains some stories that we probably, I don't know, would view as a little bit weird. And let me just say that for the next few minutes, like, it's totally okay to think that some of the stories in the Bible are a little weird. Like, I, I don't know if you've read, you know, some where you just kind of think, man, that's crazy. Anybody ever read a story in the Bible? You can lift your hands. This is an all skate here. And you've read a story and you're like, man, that's weird. It's crazy. I don't understand that. I'm not sure why that's in there. Yeah, I've definitely done that. I mean, like we see Jesus doing these amazing things, but then there's that story where he decides to heal the guy that's blind. But instead of just saying, be healed and see, he bends down and he spits in the dirt and makes mud and takes the mud and puts it on the guy's eyes. And that's the way that God chooses to heal him. Like, that's a little bit weird, right? I mean, the part in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, like Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, where you've got the ark and God chooses to wipe out everybody on the face of the earth except Noah and his family, like, that's a little bit weird. It's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit like, ah, oh, I wish that wasn't in there. I mean, there are other places in the Bible that you can read a story and you just go, man, I, I don't know what that means. I, I'm not sure why that's in there. I'm not sure what's happening until you try to take the stories of the Bible and recognize that there is actually only one larger story being written, being told. There's just this larger story. It's called the meta-narrative of Scripture, and it's this one overarching narrative, this one overarching story from the beginning to the end, from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. There is a story being told that includes all of the weird stories and all of the stories that seem to make sense and all the ones that are kind of in between that just don't, you don't even know why it's in there. Like, why would they include in a whole chapter or two or three, like, this person begat that person? Begat just means they had this baby. This person had this baby, and this person had this baby, and this person had this baby. And then there's these other stories where they're just counting people. There's a whole book called Numbers where they're just walking around going, one, two, three, four. Okay, there's 12,000 of those guys. Okay, next group, one, two. They're like, why is that in there except that God is telling a larger story? And sometimes when we're reading the Bible, unfortunately what we think is that it doesn't make sense because we don't know how it pertains to our life. And so we're like, well, if... If I'm the star of the show, why would God choose to put that in there? Because I don't understand what this has to do with me. Why would God need to tell me that there were 12,000 of that group of people and there were 8,000 of that group of people and that this person begat that person begat that person because they didn't begat me? So I don't know why that's in there because I'm the star of the show. And if you came today and your mom and your dad or somebody in your life has convinced you that you are the center of the universe... I have terrible news for you today. You are not the center of the universe, nor are you the center of the story of Scripture, nor are you the most important person in Scripture or in the world. That person is Jesus Christ, who is in Scripture, and really that story of Jesus kind of goes from beginning to end in various ways where God is using Jesus 
to reconcile man back to himself, man and woman. Reconcile them from the beginning of Genesis where there is this fracture in the relationship all the way to the end of the story where God has this ultimate plan of redemption and reconciliation. God is orchestrating this entire story. And so the weird stories that are contained in Scripture are a part of telling that story. He needs you to know that he's counting everybody because everybody's important. And he needs you to know that guy's name and that guy's name and that girl's name because he needs you to know that they're a part of the story of God too, just like you're a part of the story of God, but they play a role like you play a role and none of you are the central figure. And so we come to these really weird stories and in 2 Kings, where we're going to spend our time, if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go there with me. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. It's one of the first few books of the Bible in, in relation to the whole, the whole Bible. And so if you don't have a Bible, if you've got a Bible, you can use the table of contents. It's free. You paid for it. Go ahead and use it. If you don't have a, a printed Bible, use your app. Let me just tell you a cool trick in your app. Most of the time, you can put the books in alphabetical order. So two comes after one, and there's just a couple of books that have one and two. So it's really near the top. And if you don't know numbers and letters, I can't help you. Okay? So I don't know how to help you with that, but you can find it, 2 Kings. There are some really weird stories in 2 Kings. Let me give you some examples. In 2 Kings chapter 1, the king at that time in history had fallen. He had fallen down kind of through the lattice there at the palace, and he had hurt himself, and he was laid up in the bed. And so he's trying to determine if he's going to be able to get up out of the bed and walk again and live this fruitful life. And so he sends word, not to the prophet of God, but to this other prophet of another God, who's, it's really an idol for this other group of people that are, among their, that are living among the people there. And he sends word and says, will I be whole? Will I be well? Will I, will I be you know, healthy again? And the prophet of God, a guy by the name of Elijah that we're really going to read about for you know, first, uh, King, or 2 Kings chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 before he disappears, Elijah finds out that the king has tried to find word from this other god, this idol. And so he says, well, that's no good. You got you to gotta seek wisdom from God, not this other random little g god that's this idol. So he says, uh, just send word back to the king that because he didn't seek wisdom from God through the prophet of God, he's never going to get up out of the bed and he's actually going to die in bed. Well, the king didn't like that very much, and so he decides, okay, I'm going to send my, one of my commanders and 50 of the men of my army out to see this prophet of God. So he sends them out. There's 51 people, the commander and the 50 men, and they go out, and they send word to the prophet that they want to talk. And instead, Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and those 51 men are consumed by fire and killed. Wow, that's a little weird. So then the king says, okay, I don't like that. He just killed 51 of my guys. We're going after him. He sends another commander and another 50 guys. They go out. They tell the prophet, we're coming to talk to you. He sends down fire again. Those 51 guys die. So now the commander or the king sends another commander. Imagine being tasked with that job after hearing what happened to the previous two guys. And another 50 men. I don't know if I would sign up for that role. He sends them out. This time they take a much more cautious approach. And they send word to the prophet, hey, have mercy on us. We'd love to speak if you have time, if you can fit it into your schedule. And the prophet says, hey, here's the deal. Let the king know that what I said is true and that because he didn't seek wisdom from God, he sought wisdom from an idol. He's going to live in that bed until he dies. He will never get up. And sure enough, he did. Second Kings chapter 2, Elijah, the guy we just talked about, he's taken away to heaven. 
But before he is, his apprentice prophet, if you will, a guy by the name of Elisha, and I know that's a little bit weird in itself. You have Elijah and Elisha. But if you're ever confused about who came first, just remember that Jah comes before Shah in the alphabet. And if you don't know letters, I can't help you. And so Elijah comes first. Elisha comes second. Elijah is taken to heaven. He doesn't die. He's just taken up by God. But Elisha says, hey, I want to see you when you're taken up. And so Elijah says, well, here's the deal. If you see me when I'm taken up, you'll get a double portion of my anointing. And that's exactly what happens. And so Elijah's taken up, carried away. This kind of team of prophets decide they're going to go see if maybe he was dropped off at the top of the mountain. Elisha's like, don't go up there. I think he's fine. I think he's with God now. They're like, no, we need to do it. So they go look. He's not there, obviously. And so Elisha now carries this double portion of the the mantle of the anointing of God that rests on the prophet. And so now there's some water that's making people sick. And so Elisha just throws salt into it and nobody gets sick anymore. And then there's some kids. This is so weird. There's some kids that are making fun of the new prophet, Elisha, as he's walking down the road. And no kidding, if you're reading the NIV translation or some of the other translations, they're actually making fun of the fact that he's bald. Hey, the NIV says, hey there, baldy. That's a little weird, right? But it gets even weirder when you understand how the prophet of God responds He doesn't like being made fun of, and so he calls a bear out of the woods to eat 42 children. That's a little weird. I get it. That's a little bit weird in 2 Kings chapter 2. But then we keep reading in 2 Kings 3, and we see that the king's army is in the desert, and God fills the desert with water, which is not normally in deserts. It's a little weird. 2 Kings chapter 4 is the story of a woman that we've talked about who has nothing except one jar with a little bit of oil in it, but the debt collectors are coming. She doesn't have anything to pay them off. They're going to come and take her sons. So the prophet says, go gather empty vessels from your neighbors and then pour the oil that you have into these empty vessels. And she does. And as long as she has empty vessels, the oil continues to be poured out and it never stops until she runs out of empty vessels. And then he says, go and pay, sell it all and pay off the debt collectors. And then we see that as all that's happening, there's this other woman who is this older woman who's generous and kind to Elisha. And she has an old husband and she's an old woman. But she has no kids and she doesn't even ask for it. And Elisha says, hey, this time next year, you're going to have a son. She says, wait a minute. I don't know that that could happen, but I didn't ask for this. But sure enough, a year later, she has a son. Then the son gets sick. And word comes to Elisha, and Elisha sends somebody with his staff, says, lay the staff on the boy. They do. The boy doesn't get better. And so Elisha himself comes to the woman's house, and she says, did I ask you for a son? And not only did you give me a son, or did God give me a son, now that son is being taken away from me. I'm brokenhearted. I didn't ask for this. How in the world did I end up here? And Elisha's like, chill. I got this. And he goes and lays down on top of the boy. Mouth to mouth, eye to eye, like lays down on top of him. And the Bible says that he grows warm, but he doesn't come back to life. So Elisha gets up, walks around the room, comes back, lays down on top of the boy again. And then this really weird verse, when it says the boy sneezed seven times. I don't really know, but I mean, when you start sneezing, sometimes you just can't stop. I mean, that's what my experience is. And all of a sudden he gets up and he's alive and he's restored to his mother. It's a really weird story They're in 2 Kings chapter 4. And then we see that uh, there's some stew that people are making, kind of vegetable stew, which makes me hungry when I read it. But people are getting sick, and so Elisha says, well, just put a little flour in it, and nobody gets sick anymore. And then he supernaturally feeds 100 people, and they have leftovers. And then in 2 Kings chapter 5, the commander of the army, a man by the name of Naaman, he gets leprosy. 
And so the prophet says, here's what you're supposed to do. Go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and after the seventh time, you'll be made whole. Naaman grumbles a little bit. He's like, didn't we have water that I could dip myself in where I was at? Why did I have to come all the way to you? But eventually, through his servant prodding him, hey, go and do what the prophet says, he goes and dips himself seven times, and sure enough, he's made whole. And so then Naaman says, what do you want from me? I'll give you anything. I'll give you silver. I'll give you clothes. I'll give you goods, whatever you want. And Elisha says, no, 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 you can't buy me off. You don't have to give me anything. And so Naaman leaves. Well, one of the young men that's standing there sees this interaction and decides, you know what? If Naaman was willing to give us some stuff, maybe we should take him up on his offer. So he runs after. He doesn't tell Elisha. He runs after Naaman and says, hey, the prophet changed his mind. He would like you to give him some silver and to give him some clothes and to give him some stuff. And so Naaman says, absolutely. You take anything that you want for the prophet and so he takes this stuff and he goes back and he hides it and he doesn't tell the prophet except Elisha knows exactly what he's done. And so he says, hey, because you disobeyed, you're now going to have leprosy for the rest of your life and the generations that follow you will have leprosy. And that's exactly what happened. And that's super weird. But that's not even where we're going to spend the next three weeks. Because we're going to start in chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, flip there to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to read the first seven verses today. We're now reading again about Elisha, the apprentice prophet who became that prophet with the double portion anointing. And this is what it says. The company of prophets. This is kind of a pool of people that were also being trained and observing the prophet and being used by God to speak his truth. The company of prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to meet. And he said, Elisha said to them, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them and they went to the Jordan and they began cut down, to cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. And the man of God asked, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron to float again. Lift it out, he said. And then the man reached out his hand and took it. Now, we, we do a lot of different things when we're kind of going to God's word in these moments. And sometimes we have three or four points. And sometimes we have, you know, these things that stand for something. But today what I want, you to, I want to do is I just want to walk through these verses that we just read. And just share from my heart what I believe God spoke to me several weeks ago, maybe several months ago now, about this passage of Scripture and how it connects to all of us. Look again at verses 1 and 2. The company of prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. The place where we meet is too small for us. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know we literally just finished our expansion project. And I'm not announcing today that we're expanding again, okay? So just everybody relax, hang on to your wallets. I'm not collecting money. We're good, okay? But let me repeat one more time what it just said. The place where we meet is too small for us. If I can dream with you for a second, even though we just finished our expansion, the place where we meet is too small for us. Maybe not for today. There's a few empty seats around. Evidently, I'm contagious because no one wants to sit close. I'm going to start putting $100 bills under the front row, just so you know. But there's a few empty seats around you. But the place where we meet is too small for us. Not just for today, but for our future. 
Because here's the reality. A lot of you came to this place at some point over the last six years. Maybe it was today for the very first time. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Make sure you get a cup on the way out. Some of you came six years ago. And you showed up on a Sunday at a high school in Sequoia High School. We were there 209 Sundays. There are 209 rocks on the front of the stage to help remind us of the things that God proved to us in that season. But that place wasn't our permanent home. And then we moved into this place two Januaries ago, and we came in, and it was a little bit smaller. The stage was actually right over there, and the seats started uh, back there where that second pole is. Some of you don't even remember that, even though it was about a month and a half ago. And now we feel like we're in Gwinnett Arena, right? But this is not our permanent home. We don't own this place. We lease it from a really good man, really good company. But the place that we meet is too small for us. And the reason that I know that is because even with all of the great churches in this community, many of which I'm friends with their pastors and their leaders, some of them, I, I know people that go to their churches and attend their churches, great churches, kingdom brothers and sisters for us. Even with all the great churches in this community, do you know that there are over 100,000 people in our community that do not go to church? That's crazy. We're in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. Like, Cherokee County is almost the buckle of the Bible Belt, if you lay it over the Google map. I mean, it's just right there in the middle. 100,000 people every single week don't go to church. Now, church doesn't save you. You can go to heaven and not go to church. That's my belief. I don't know why you'd want to do that. I don't know why you'd avoid a gathering of, of, of a group of God's people when we're trying to get to heaven where we'll be with, guess what, a gathering of a group of God's people. But I mean, 100,000 people every single week here in our community, not all the way around the world, across the street from you, that don't know Jesus Christ, they're not in relationship with him, it helps me to remember that the place that we're meeting is too small for us. This is not our permanent home. This is just a temporary part of the story of God that he's writing here in our story. And if I can dream with you for a minute, as I've tried to do here over the last few weeks and months, of what's in my heart, what's in my spirit, faith is the things that we hope for, the evidence of things that's unseen. If I can just dream with you a little bit about the faith in my heart and the things that I hope for, it's to make a difference in this community beyond our gatherings on Sunday mornings. It's ministry in the prisons and the jails of our community and the surrounding communities of our state. It's to reconcile marriages that are broken. It's to reach in and help impact kids in our community that just don't have anybody that's looking out for them outside of maybe a teacher or a neighbor. We want to be the kind of voice that can reach in and speak to those. We want to help the people that are impoverished in our community. We want to actually affect change in our community beyond the walls of wherever we are choosing to gather in that part of the season of the story that God is writing for us. And here's what I know. Some of you know this as well. Even as we meet here, God has already begun to provide for our future. About three years ago, a businessman in our community woke up on a Friday morning and just felt the Lord leading him about a piece of property that he had under contract, valued at $1.1 million dollars. He already had it under contract, and so God, that morning while he was doing devotion, says, I want you to give that to Canton Church. Well, that doesn't happen, first of all. I'd been interacting with this businessman and talking to him about some other pieces of property we were looking at even before we found this place. And so he called me, and he said, hey, I want you to come to my office. And I showed up at his office, and he shows me this land plat, and he says, hey, do you like that? And I'm like, yeah, that's great. You need to buy that. He was like, well, I got it under contract, but do you like it? I'm like, well, it's 40 acres. We've been looking at like six acres or eight acres. 
He was like, but do you like it? I said, well, yeah, I, I love it. He said, well, the Lord woke me up this morning and told me to give it to you. $1.1 million. We've owned it about three years or so. We found out last month that that land is valued now at over $2 million. And here's what I believe, what I said the Sunday that I announced it to our church. Where God guides, he provides. The place that we're meeting is too small for us. And not today and not tomorrow, not next week or next month even, but there will come a day when I stand before you to say, hey, at some point it's time for us to move again. The children of Israel did that throughout their history in the Old Testament. When God said stop, they stopped for a season. But then when he moved the cloud or the fire, he said it's time to go. Then they rose up and followed in obedience. Even though it caused them discomfort, they were willing to move because they wanted to be positioned exactly where God said to go. Because we want to see God do all that he is promising to us. Where God guides, he provides The place where we are meeting is too small for us. That's what the company of prophets said to Elisha. The place where we're meeting is too small for us. So then look at this in verse 3. Then one of them said, won't you please come with us? And Elisha said, I will. And so then he went with them. After they said it's too small, they said, hey, we got to go and we got to get poles and we got to build us a new place so that we can have a larger place to meet and to experience the presence of God and to hear from the voice of God so that we know exactly what God wants us to do. And Elisha said, go. And one of them, just one of their number, looked at Elisha, their mentor, their guide, and said to him, won't you come with us? The question that I have for all of us today is, who are we inviting to come on the journey that God is leading us on? You have not been called to take your journey alone. God desires for you to do life with other people. And so the question is, how much of your life are you living in isolation by choice? It may be that in this season, God is choosing to allow you to be isolated so he can teach you some things or ingrain in you some things that you couldn't learn otherwise. But how much of that is by your choice And how much of that is really disobedience as you choose not to bring people on the journey with you? One of their company said to Elisha, won't you come with us? We exist as a church, we say, because generations matter. Generations matter. What that looks like for us, what we believe about that, is that every generation has value. Every generation has a place in the family of God, and not just in the family of God at large, but in the family of God here at Canton Church. From the youngest to the oldest, we want people to know that the story of faith is written in your life, and it's written in your life for the sake of somebody else. So much of what I know about God and the story of faith that's been written in me was written there by a previous generation. And now I am tasked to give that away to the next generation, both those in my family and those that are not in my family. And so the question is, who are you inviting to come on the journey with you? And what I love about this story is one of those company of prophets, it would have been younger men that would have said to the older man, to Elisha, said, hey, would you come with us? Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament speaks to this idea when it says that older women are supposed to to teach younger women and older men are supposed to teach younger men. And there is this idea that each generation contributes something to another generation. And so the question to the younger generation is who are you inviting that's older than you to speak into your life and to take the journey with you? 
Don't be so proud that you don't think you can learn from somebody who doesn't dress like you, talk like you, or act like you. Who among the older generation have you invited to come? Won't you come with me? Won't you come with me? But the question to the older generation is, who are you intentionally seeking out? Who are you doing relationship with? Who are you trying to find that is a little bit younger than you? They frustrate you to death. The way that they show up late or the way that they talk or the way that they do think they text you, you don't even know what they said because it's not real words. You can't figure out what's happening. But who are you intentionally seeking out to do life with? And, And they both had a choice. The younger man said to Elisha, won't you come with us? And the older man said, yes. Who are you inviting to take the journey with you? And when you're invited, who are you saying yes to? Because generations matter. Look at this in verse 5. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. I've read this story so many different times. Leave that up there for just a second, guys. I've read this story so many times, and I've focused on the idea that the axe head fell into the water. But it wasn't until recently that when I was reading this, I focused on the last three words. It was borrowed. And it reminded me that even though these were the company of prophets, even though God was empowering them, God was speaking through them, there was still something that they needed to do that this man did not possess the ability to do. He didn't have what he needed to do what God was calling him to do. It was borrowed. I've got to borrow from somebody else the tools that I need to accomplish the task that I'm doing. It was borrowed. Again, speaks to relationship. i got to know who has what I need. And this is not an infomercial, but that's really why we believe in life groups. Like, you got to be in relationship with people. And so much of this sounds like, oh, Jeremy's just kind of touting what can't church. No, 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 this is about you and your life. The hero of the story is not the church. The hero of the story here is you, that God wants to do something in you. God is trying to, to accomplish great things in you. And it could be that what he's calling you to, you go, I don't have what I need. And he's saying, yeah, but your neighbor does. Go knock on his door and say, can I borrow the axe head that I need to go chop down some poles to build a bigger place so that I can meet with God and the people of God? It was borrowed. He did not possess what he needed. But God equips him. God equips you. God allows you to have everything in your hands that you need, even if you have to borrow it so that you can do all that he's calling you to do. Look at this in verse 6. Then the man of God asked, where did it fall? The axe head had fallen into the water. Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick And threw it there and made the iron to float. That's the weird part of this story. Lift it out, he said, and then the man reached out his hand and he took it. Leave that up on the screen for just a second. The man of God asked, after the axe head had fallen into the water, the man of God asked him, where did it fall? Where did it fall? As you sit here today on the first Sunday of March, 2018. I don't know your story unless you've shared it with me. And I only know the part of your story that you have shared with me. And so here's what you know about you that I don't know about you. There may be something in your life that you previously had possession of that you've lost. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just a a zeal and a joy for life. Maybe, Maybe you just are so... 
I, I don't want to use the word depressed because now it's become a clinical term, but maybe you're just so discouraged. You used to be a joyful person, a happy person, but at some point along the way, you just lost that joy for life. Where did it fall? Where did you lose it? Thinking back, where, where was the last time you remember having it? Maybe in your marriage. Things used to be so great. I mean, you remember with longing those days when you couldn't wait for them to get home from work. You couldn't wait for date night. You, you couldn't wait for long car rides to have conversation. And now you dread it. Like you avoid coming home because you don't want to be the first one home waiting on them. You want to get home a little late so that there's not much time before you have to go to bed. Long car rides, no, I'll just meet you there. Where did it fall? Where did you lose it? When was the last time you remember having it? Maybe just a vision for the future. You used to operate with such a sense that God was up to something bigger in your life. There was just an excitement, like, God, you, that you would choose me, you would use me, you would do something in and through me, you would allow me to borrow what I need to be equipped to do all that you've called me to be. Like, God, that you, thank you so much that you're doing something bigger, that you're doing something greater, but now you're not convinced that God could use somebody like you. You've messed up, you've made mistakes, things you regret, shame, guilt, condemnation that you carry with you, and you are convinced that those things are enough to disqualify you from being used by God. Where did it fall? Where'd you lose it? Because here's what's amazing about this story. Throw that scripture back up for me, guys. Where did it fall? When he showed him the place. The man of God knew exactly where he had dropped the ax head. He, he knew exactly. Elisha, it went in right there. Maybe you don't remember the exact day. Maybe you don't remember the exact moment. Maybe you can just identify it by a, a surrounding event. Maybe you can just identify it by a season or an age or a stage of life. But I believe if you'll ask God to help you, that you can call out that moment that you lost it. And you say, you know what? I remember it was, it was right there. That was the day. That was the week. That was the month. That was the year that I just lost this greater sense that God was doing something in me. That I lost that sense of joy and passion in my life and it was, it was right there. But then look at the miraculous. Look at the weird part of this story. Elisha cut a stick. He did what? He cut a stick and he threw it there in that spot. And when he threw it there, the iron floated. And Elisha said, lift it out. And then the man reached out his hand and he took it. No matter what you've lost in your life, God can restore it today. He can restore it today. You say, no, you don't understand. Yes, I do. Because if God can use Elisha to cut a stick and throw it into water and it makes iron to float... God can do anything you need him to do today. Anything you need him to do can be done today. The question is, do you believe? 
Acts and Arrows is not about weird stories. It's actually about faith. Do I trust that the God we've been singing about, the God of the Bible that people talk about, do I believe, do I have enough faith to trust that the same God who can make axe heads to float in water just by throwing a stick in it can actually restore to me what I've lost? He can actually make my marriage whole again. He can actually cause me to forgive people that have hurt me or cause those who I've hurt to forgive me so I don't have to hold on to that pain anymore. He can actually cause me to believe that I can be something more than what I see when I look in the mirror. He can actually help me to feel like I have a sense of belonging and purpose in life. Do you believe? Axes and arrows is about faith. Do I believe? Because here's the reality. The man that lost the axe could have said, yeah, I lost it right there. That was the spot. And then he could have watched Elisha cut a stick and throw it in the water and been like, that's crazy. That's not how it works. And then he could have watched the axe head float. But when Elisha gave him specific instructions and said, lift it out, he still had a choice. He had to be obedient. And some of you, your victory is right at the top of the water, right in front of you. And it's been sitting there a while. The only thing that's missing, the only step that's been skipped, is for you to be obedient and reach down and take it back. That's all that's missing. Because God is enough. And if you don't have enough faith for it, let me just say to you, I've got enough faith for both of us today. I promise you, I believe God can restore everything to you that has been lost. You dropped it. You can't even remember the day it happened. You just know what you used to have. You don't have any more. God can give it back. And here's the deal. Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. The question is, do you believe? Lift it out. It's right there. It's right there. Pick it up. Take it back. It's yours. It's, take it back. I want you to stand with me right here. As we pray to close our time today, I want us to really trust God and believe God and call on the Lord here for just a moment. And so here's what I want you to do. Bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment as you stand there in this moment. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I've lost something. And I want to take it back today. Would you lift your hand? Thank you so much. There are so many hands in the room. I, I believe the Lord showed me that before this day started. If that's you, just keep your hand lifted right where it's at. Just keep your hands up. God, I thank you right now that you are the God of the supernatural. You're the God of the things that sometimes seem a little weird. But God, if we have enough faith to trust you and to believe you, God, I believe we can take those things back that have been lost in our life. And so, God, right now, every hand that was lifted in this place, I believe that you want to restore to them everything that's been lost. And so, God, for every person here, from the youngest to the oldest, that is trying to believe that you actually want to give them back what they've lost, God, would you help their faith to grow? God, would you help their, their, their heart to trust you more than they ever have before in this journey? God, would you bring back to their mind the moments where they lost it, whatever it was, 
God, help them to point to that place and say, that's exactly where I lost it. And God, would you go back and help me to find it again? And God, I believe that you want to do that in their lives. I believe you want to do that in their hearts. God, I believe that you're the God of the supernatural. I don't believe that we just come to this place to sing songs and to hear from your word and to talk to one another. God, I believe we come to this place to meet with you. And so, God, I'm asking you today to help us to know that you're here, to know that you're real, and to know that you are more than enough. And, God, I pray that today starts, for some of us, the process of taking back what's been stolen from us, taking back what's been lost. And, God, I believe that you want to tell an incredible story if we'll just have enough faith to reach down and take it back. God, axes and arrows are about faith, faith to believe you. And so, God, help us to believe you more than we ever have before because we know that you can. We don't pray from a position of hoping you can. We pray from a position of believing that you can. And so, God, now we thank you. We thank you that you're writing a story. You are the center of this story. And, God, the place that we meet is too small for us because you're writing a larger story to reach the people that we know. God, you're calling us to live in community with one another. And so we ask the older generation to come with us. And as the older generation, we say yes to go along and to mentor and to guide and to lead because that's what you're calling us to. But, God, we have enough faith to believe that even if we have to borrow it, that you can give to us everything that we need to accomplish all that you're calling us to. And, God, we'll give you all the glory and all the honor, and all the praise for everything that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can we put our hands together today and thank God? Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.